Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Classic Pinball Podcast. Flying solo today, but I do have a special guest. No, this show isn't about Snooky, but I do remember the spectacle the show created in Seaside Heights during that summer. In our initial episode, I spoke about growing up at the shore. Well, this episode is an interview about Playland Arcade that was on Route 35 North in Lavalette, New Jersey. I have fond memories of this place growing up in the 60s and 70s, and today I'm happy to be joined by David Scarpa. He's the author of the book Beyond Playland. I remember that arcade very, very well as a young man. When I went to look a year ago, I didn't find a lot. And... No, there's not a lot out there. Well, and that's the reason for this podcast. Now, I know you're a broadcaster. Tell me how Playland began and okay, a little bit about... Are we on now? In a little, yes, we are. And a little okay. bit about the history. Okay. Well, it started with my, my dad. Um, I'm going to guess 1957. Just give or take a year. Because I remember um, I was three years old uh, when, my, when we first uh, had Playland. And uh, my dad, uh, his best friend and him, built the building. And uh, the guy also built some homes uh, in Sunset Manor, which I guess you would consider part of North Lavalette, which would be just north of Playland. And his name was Carmen Frida. I don't know if you remember that name or not. From the 50s, he built a, it was a Frida's Hotel in Lavalette. Um, he was a big builder in, in the area. And my father bought, the, bought a house from his building of, of small, um, you know, little bungalows in, in, uh, in North Lavalette. So he, he bought the arcade with Carmen in 57 and we had our first beach i guess beach bungalow you would call it in in lavalette and uh in those days you know we my father paid four thousand dollars for a beach bungalow you know (laughs) i i i remember a story from my friend in north jersey his parents had looked to a at a place on barnegat bay on west point island in 1969 in 1969 Beautiful old house. It was probably built in the 20s or 30s, so it needed work. $29,000 on the water. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's, uh, in fact, not long after we, we uh, had that home in, in, uh, in uh, Lavalette, not long after that, my father sold that house, and we ended up buying a house on, Ch- on the water in Chatter Beach Island, uh, for $30,000. And there was a lot, corner lot adjoining the property that my father bought for 10000 more. So, so for, you know, $40,000, we had a, we had a house on the, beautiful house on the water and a, and a, a, a lot, uh, that, you know, adjoined the properties. So, uh, yeah. So that was, that was pretty much it. Carmen, Carmen Frieda, well, eventually, my father bought out Carmen Frieda's sec part of Playland. Probably about three years later, I'm going to say, I'm going to say in 1960, he probably bought the whole thing from him because he was moving on 
to build, you know, he was a builder. He went, he wanted to go to other parts of the state and build. I think he went down to Seattle City and continued to build down there. My father uh, bought the, his half of the uh, of Playland. So the big question I have personally is, how did your dad come to all those classic games that I remember. And if you'd like uh-huh. me to, if you'd like me to recite my list of favorites, because I put a lot of money in those things as a young man, and we'll talk I'm sure about you did, as a young man, right? <clears throat> Saving your quarters. Oh no, no quarters. Qu- qu- excuse, excuse me, quarters. Play a pinball machine in the fifties was a nickel. Um, and then it I, went to ten cents, and then eventually. As you well know, in the '80s, went to a, went to a quarter. So, so I'm of the nickel age, and I'll tell you the games that I remember. My favorite okay. game every time I went into uh, Playland was the right. scientific batting practice game for a nickel. Classic. Yes, yeah, that, that was over, I believe, by the front door on the left-hand side where the Williams baseball games were. Nope, other side. Right-hand side near uh, the ju- near the juke near the jukebox. Near the jukebox. We'll we'll get we'll get into the layout in a couple of minutes. There's okay, there's so much I'm to ex- There's so much to explore here. So that was one of my favorite games. I put money in that every time. But a game that I did I don't know one or two podcasts ago at the end of our thing, we call it a uh, bonus feature. We did a, a little bit on Gangster's Saloon. Crook's Saloon. You remember that game? No, I, I don't. I don't have any, I don't have a recollection of a pinball machine or, or some other type of... No, no, this was a gun game where the gangsters appeared in windows and you had a Tommy gun that reacted to the pull while you were shooting. Do you remember that game? It was in the back. I'm starting to get a picture in my head of that one. Go go after we record this. Go out and look at it. Gangster's Saloon. Classic game that you folks had. Again, one of the ones I put a lot of money in. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Let's see. How about the Williams Digger game? Chicago coin. You know, the... Uh, Williams, what is it? A, a digger. It was basically a, uh, a a steam shovel that picked up, I would guess, coffee beans? Oh, are you, are you talking about the... Um, oh, geez, it was a, a little... Fill the, hop, fill the hopper and see how and high you could get beans. the uh, scale to go. And it picked up the beans and then dropped them into the hopper? Yes. Oh, I loved that game. That was that was that was so cute. The little, the little kids loved it. Had the little buttons where you could you could drop the uh, you know the the, pick, the I guess the crane part of it to pick up the, the beans, and then you would turn it to the side and drop it in the hopper, and it would measure uh, how many you know so-called tons that you were that you were dropping into the hopper, and then I mean it was no you know they didn't win anything, but it was just pretty fun to to see how far you could get. How did your dad? acquire all these games i mean to me these are class these are classic uh, originally originally he bought the you know the the bowling you know the ski ball type games i think they were used when he bought them 
Uh, and back then, if, uh, this might be a little before your time, but uh, they we had ski ski low game too and ski ball, uh, and you, we we gave out tickets and one, and you could win prizes. Now the ski low you might not be that familiar with, but there was seats there like chairs, almost like uh, fascination if you ever played fascination, uh, except when you roll the balls you had to get like a, a you know three of a kind or a straight or a flush. Uh, and then the little light went on, you got your tickets. Uh, same thing with the ski ball. The light went on, you got your tickets. You went over to the, to the counter and you would, you would, uh, cash in your tickets for, you know, little, little prizes, you know, mostly funny little things, you know, like giant sunglasses or Chinese, uh, finger, you know, whatever they call them. The, yeah, the Chinese the finger torture fingers or whatever they call uh, them. Cuffs, the handcuffs right. your fingers. But mostly little stuff like that. And then, um, I don't know, maybe 60-something, um, the town, uh, we were part of Dover Township at the time, came in and said that the guy down at Barnacle Bills wanted to know why we had them and he couldn't have them. So the town came in and told us that we had to take everything out. So we had an attorney look into look into it and see if what our legal rights were because we were operating those games for, for I don't know, seven, eight, nine years before the town suddenly told us we we couldn't operate them anymore. I mean, we could operate the games, but we couldn't couldn't give out prizes. Right, you couldn't dispense. You know, I, I vaguely remember that now that you mentioned it, but that was never a big part of my experience. But I have to tell you this. No, that was more families, you know, older people. Wasn't you know like the kids that wanted to just play the games, you know? Yeah, yeah, but I, I have to tell you, you had, um, and I looked it up today because I wanted to make sure I had the right name. The Rotary Merchandiser by Exhibit Supply. You had yes. one. You had one of those in the back. We had two of those in the back. Okay, well, one of them. This is going to sound really crazy. My mom passed a couple years ago. And up on the shelf in the kitchen, it had, you know, the three shelves on each side of the sink. You know, old school, um, old school kitchen. And I think she had this wooden, it was either an elephant or a deer or a squirrel. I don't know, some kind of curvy looking thing. But I think that came out of one of your machines. Because I don't remember that coming in any other way. And I remember playing those machines in the back going, wow, those are some pretty cool things. But right. it was more the sport than what the thing was. Okay. I know, I know, we, well, we don't remember what we used to have years ago in the rotaries, but I know we, they eventually went to like little cameras and, and, and uh, cigarette lighters and stuff like that. You could win. Uh, in those rotary games, knives, um, knives. The town didn't bother us for those, or the or the you know the diggers, the old diggers that the kids would put two cents in them, and that claw would come down and pick up little little bubble gum and little toys that the kids could use. They were in the back by the diggers. I don't know if you remember those. No, I I, I do I do. Uh, the other game we used to play, and it was probably maybe a little bit later, 
was the Bali soccer game, that behemoth in the back oh, that weighed God, like yeah. nine million pounds. My, actually, my brother has that. Uh, and, and back in the 80s, it was, uh, it was uh, estimated uh, his value was uh, about $8,500 back, back in the early 80s. Right. I can't even imagine what it's worth. No, today. it's it's not worth a lot anymore, unfortunately, because nobody wants to move that thing, and it <laughs> and they and they and they made a lot of them. No, I I I've looked from time to time. I see them, and everybody you can kind of read between the lines in the ad. It just sounds Are you like please about the ones with the little soccer players. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, we're talking about the same game. But that thing okay. weighed 450 or 500 pounds, if I recall. Heavy. I remember it being like in, in Sports Illustrated, in, in, on the inside of Sports Illustrated at one time. Oh, I played it. I put money in that. Look, there were games every time I went into that arcade I played because they were, you know, yeah, you, you guys were more of the, the arcade. I don't remember... Playland being a real pinball-centric, or it might be beyond my age, but a video place either. And we'll talk about your competitor. I call it on the other side of town, but I know it's Ortley Beach. Um, well, we're, it's really north. Uh, it, it, it was Dover Township. It, it, it was uh, taken over. Those, those streets were all taken over by, by Lava Lat. Oh and no! I, I I remember when it happened uh, when I was a kid. I remember, you know, Dover Township. The best part was Dover Township didn't do a real good job on the Fourth of July, so it was like freestyle out on West Point Island. It was great. Yeah, Dover Township. We were we were like the you know the the, uh, the wicked stepsister over here on the beach because we were, were we were the ne neglected child out on the outer island we're tom driver they didn't really want much to do with us except when when it was time to collect the taxes what happened at the end because i remember foggy but i remember one day driving by the property and i'm like there's no building anymore what happened but I'm right. guessing that something happened before that. Yeah, I mean, it was. A, I think at the at the end, and I guess in the mid '80s, a lot of a lot of things were changing. Um, it kind of the clientele was changing. Um, it was going from from you know a lot of families to you know kids hanging out and listening to the jukebox. Um, hanging around, not playing the games, looking for a place to just hang. Uh, that drove my father crazy, I know that, because he wanted it to be, you know, like it always was, a family place, you know. Uh, then we had an incident with the, uh, with the ABC, um, probably the year before we closed up. The uh, ABC came in and told us that we had to take out the cranes, and the diggers because they were they were gambling and uh, the funny thing was that the following year after playland was gone the uh the, the, they decided that the cranes and the diggers were going to be allowed 
a year after they told us that we had to take them out, which really put a big kibosh on on, the, on families uh, coming in. The only thing we you know they came for was the kitty ride, you know. Uh, there was really nothing to do for for families uh, anymore, you know. It was getting worse and worse. It was going to video games, uh, the old the old kind of games from the fifties that we still tried to operate. You know, weren't being played as much. Their kids wanted to play the video games. So that was the way the world in the 80s was video games. And then, of course, the value of the property went through the roof. So my father, I don't know if you remember, but my father owned the golf course, the miniature golf course. If you're looking at Playland, my father owned the miniature golf course to the right, which was on two lots. And he also owned the big house to the left of Playland, which meant my father owned the entire block. Oh, I, I had no idea that your father... I, I played the mini-golf many a time. Uh, well, I had no father, idea he owned the whole frontage on that block. And I do yeah, remember... Eventually, uh, he, he bought the miniature golf course, and you know, we operated the miniature golf course and the arcade. And then uh, he bought the house on the corner, which was, you know... Used to be the house on the corner years and years ago was a tea house. So it had like two bathrooms. It was like almost like a business that they were running a tea house out of in, in probably the 30s and 40s. So my father bought that property and then people came in and were, were building condos like crazy. You remember the 80s. Oh, I, I distinctly remember. You know that happened. It was condo crazy. You know? What what was the year that you know finally they put a uh, you know put the business unfortunately into a dumpster and put up the condos eighty six seven somewhere around there. Yeah, we we were we were uh, emptying out the place in eighty five. They put up the condos in eighty six. So I uh, moved some of the games. Uh, out of Playland, and I opened, uh, and uh, I don't know if you remember this either, but I opened up uh, the uh, the um, arcade down the street in Ocean Beach Unit 2, the Village Arcade, which was owned by somebody else. The building was owned by somebody else, and, uh, and I moved the, some of our games in there and tried to operate like we did in Playland for a couple of years in the Village Arcade, Ocean Beach Unit 2. And I had the landlord from hell, so so that only lasted a short time. No, I, I don't remember that, um, but I do, like I said, remember, you know, when the building wasn't there one day, which isn't atypical of that area anymore. Yeah, it was, that was, uh, that was uh, just before the summer of 85. Wow. They came in bulldozers, and a guy bought the whole piece of property, the whole, the whole four lots, no, I I, I know I know the condos that are on there. Side piece of property. It no, was, it was a, a it was a great piece of property. So it no, leads it, it leads lots from block to block, you know. Oh, so, a lot of uh, a lot of frontage on thirty five north, ton. So the builder bought the whole bought the whole thing. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was it. I mean, I had you know worked there for twenty years. For my father, and I even went to 
you know, to school and stuff to learn how to fix the games and this and that, anticipating that, you know, I would be my arcade at some point in life, but uh, the best made plans of mice and men, they, they don't always work out the way you plan them. So, so I want to circle back because we've gone for quite a few minutes and haven't mentioned pinball, which doesn't bother me in the least because I do this for my for my own entertainment. Um, I mean, I can tell you about some of the popular ones back in the in the you know late fifties, early sixties, if you like. I could do that. Well, I'd like you to go there and then kind of move more towards my era, which would okay. be early seventies, just before getting into solid state if you were you know still working still with your dad about the electromechanical games well when it was just going from from you had to push the you know the ball lift and make the ball come up yourself to they became automatic and the ball would come up automatically right i do remember that tell me about the games that you had at playland you know during the time that you worked there or that you remember you know, you can right. move from the early 60s, but move up through, you know, probably okay, early solid state games, you I know, from Bali, et cetera. If you like, as best I can. Uh, started out, like I said, with the, with the bowling games and the crane machines and the winning the prizes, kitty rides. Uh, we went to electromechanical pinballs. I remember the most, you know, the ones that were really hot uh, way back was Silver and dancing dolls and i remember one kid used to come in and play silver and then the kid would come in in the morning and, and leave in the dinner time because he would he would never lose he just kept winning and winning so so uh my father said, said to me what's going on there why does that kid never lose i said well the tilt is not working so the kid would stay there for like almost the whole summer just playing the game for like a you know a nickel um so I finally I adjusted the tilt on it. So every time the kid, you know, shook the game and lifted it, it started to start at the tilt. So I was uh, I was a hero for a little while because the kid didn't uh, take off the whole game all day long. But then another one was dancing dolls. That was a great one. Then it was a horse race game where there was, you know, like eight horses that went down the middle of the of the board, and you know you would. As you would hit the numbers, each horse would advance until one of them won. And then if your horse won, you got you know you would get a free game. And I guess in the eighties, uh, firepower I remember was a was a real hot uh, pinball machine. Um, you know we had we still were operating the the Williams baseball games. You know we had eight of those upper deck and the and the peanut uh, with the pitching and the batting. Uh, a lot of shooting games. And then we got from the 80s, we started uh, a whole new era uh, with, uh, with like, you know, video ping pong, which was like the first video games uh, that ever came do out. You, do you remember when you got your first Atari Pong game? Yes, I do. Uh, and then not too far after that, we got our first Space Invaders. And then our first missile command. You remember those? I, I I do, and and that leads me to the big question. Go ahead. It, what's what do you consider the biggest earning game in the history of Playland? What do you think earned the most money? 
Well, you're gonna you're gonna um, probably not believe what I'm gonna tell you. The game that made more money than any other game in Playland history was a sit-down driving game called pole position. I remember it. So the kids loved to sit down and play. It was like they were actually in a car. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 50 cents to play it because it was a sit-down game rather than a stand-up game. If I recall... If I recall, that game was right out front by the garage doors. Yeah, I think off to the right, I think. But it was it was up front. It was, come give me your quarters. Yeah. I'm sure, I know there was some driving games up front, but I think the sit-down pole position was halfway back on the right hand, furthest wall to the right, about halfway back. But that game did... did I mean, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot more than 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 most of the other games did. Um, so I'd say I'd say the sit down pole position. But as far as regular video games, you know, you'd have to you'd have to put you know Galaga in there, Centipede, Defender, Pac Man, uh, Donkey Kong. Um, you know, games like that, and then of course. Uh, Second level would be like Dig Dug, Zaxxon, Mario Brothers, Star Wars. A lot of kids like Spy Hunter, too. Spy Hunter was a good one. And then the Punch-Out boxing game. But the unique one was the Dragon's Lair. If you remember Dragon's Lair with the laser disc. I do do remember when that game came out. Yeah, that was like the first one with the laser disc. I never liked it, but... You know, because it really didn't follow a pattern. You know, it was like either you missed the turn and and, and you missed the you didn't go you went left instead of right and the game was over. You know? So so so, so playland stuff like that. Another one was fun was Czech's hockey. If you remember Czech's hockey, uh, it was right right after uh, the United States had won the won the gold medal in the Olympics. You know, and it was you know U.S. versus Russia was the big thing and the on the Czechs hockey uh, games, you know, which uh, which did well for, but they were slow moving, but they but they did well. Kids liked to play them, you know. What happened to all the games? Who Wendy Santa lived right by Playland growing up. In fact, he lived on the next street, uh, and I remember him coming in Playland when he was a. Uh, when he was a little guy, he was so wide-eyed. I mean, it was like, oh, my goodness. It was like a little kid. He opened his eyes and said, oh, my God, Playland, you know. It was like the biggest thing in his life. And I remember even saying at that point that, wow, this kid really, really, <laughs> he's a hes a Playland guy, you know. He's an arcade-type guy. And uh, eventually he opened up uh, his own place in uh, Seaside, uh, Randy Seno. He opened up. Uh, well, I can't remember the name of Flippers. Maybe Fascination. He was he liked he liked the Fascination game. But he opened up some Fascination. Games I, I'd like that. to I'd like to stop you and interrupt there because that that is foreign to a lot of people. Although I live in New Hampshire and there's a place north of me called Fun Spot. They claim to be the world's largest arcade. Yada yada yada. But 
they had those machines there. And I remember them, obviously, growing up, you know, in Lavalette, going to Seaside and seeing them, but never played them. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that game and Randy? Because it sounds like he's been involved with that game for 40 or 50 years. Yeah, Randy. Randy's um, a little younger than I am. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably somewhere around 60 years old. He's, he's been in the business since I can remember, since he was probably in his 20s. His father, you know, father... And mother had a had a had a house there. His father was you know had, was a, uh, an attorney and and then and passed away. And then he had a little bit of money to get started. God bless him. Um, had the fascination. He rented in Seaside. He lost his lease. Uh, ended up in Wildwood. And he has uh, a uh, antique. I guess he was trying to do. This is a good story. He was trying to build a uh, like a, a arcade museum in Wildwood but he bought an old Woolworth store in Wildwood on the street and because it was on the street Wildwood wouldn't let him open it uh, because the arcades are supposed to be on the boardwalk however he wasn't opening it as an arcade he was opening trying to open it as a as a museum well, he's still in that same battle probably 15 years later with Wildwood. But meanwhile, he has a arcade on the boardwalk that, again, uh, he's leasing property. He owns, he owns a giant piece of property, and they won't let him open it. So he's leasing uh, some, some space uh, on the boardwalk in uh, Wildwood, and it's, it's, it's got a lot of old arcade games, and... I think why we're why we're talking about this. I, I think what you're trying to get at is is that we're transitioning to where 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 uh, I knew him, and when I I had all these games that I was stuck with and had no place to put them, uh, I sold uh, a lot of the old ones to Randy. So Randy's actually operating some of the old games from Playland in his arcade uh, uh, in Wildwood. I, I I did want to move in that direction. But it's funny the games that we talked about earlier, I right. didn't I didn't see. But he's a he is a character, and I mean that in the most sincere way. Um, you can you can just see the passion. But all the um, I don't even know what to call them the exhibit pieces from all the rides along the Jersey Shore and memorabilia. Right. Uh, I, I guess from what I read, he was also on TV on a hoarder's. Uh... Yeah, that's Randy. He's got he's got tons of that stuff in his museum, but he's operating. When when he shot the hoarders, he wasn't operating the arcade on the boardwalk that he's operating now. So a lot of the games you might have missed. Uh, he's got the arm wrestling game that was in Playland. Uh, he's got the metal thing where you turn the metals and you print out the little metals. Oh machine. yeah! Oh right! Yeah, that's a that was that's a classic. He's got the basketball game where it's a there's a bubble a bubble over the game and you push the buttons and it shoots the basketball. Put a lot of money in that game as well. Keep going. That game was great. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was a dime. But he has that now. That he's operating that that this particular game. In uh, in his arcade, um, 
retro. It's, it's some kind of a retro. No, it, it, it's it's on it's on uh, YouTube. I think is where I saw it today because I wanted yeah. to do a little show prep. I'm like, who is this guy? And, and really, I had no very, idea who he was. You know, no, and, and he's very very uh, up on all this stuff. He knows a lot about the history of of games. You know. Well, it's. I wanted to make sure that this gets out into the public. No matter who listens to it, few or far between, it's things you don't, you don't, you don't see it. I actually appreciate, you know, this. It's probably a story worth telling, you know? Well, and it it, it is because you don't see them often. And I'll bring this to your attention, whether you've seen it or not. It's... I was looking for that batting game, uh, the scientific batting game, and I come across this auction site in Pennsylvania, and they do okay. an annual auction on arcade games and other types of associated paraphernalia. But I saw okay. that game restored, which was it was perfect. It couldn't have been a better specimen. And when I saw right. the price. My jaw dropped, it hit the ground, and it bounced back up. But I said to myself, how many of those could there be? There can't be yeah. many. And right. it's a classic game. It's, it's, it's right. electromechanical at its simplest. Right. And no worth money. But you know something? You, if you, you can't get a nickel for the, for the you know, if I, the Pac-Man and all the ones well, you think it, that are worth a ton of money. It's, uh, it's electronic. It's not they mechanical. Were worth, they were worth three, four hundred dollars a piece. And then, and then the guy would have to, you know, take the whole thing apart and try to get it to work so he could get fourteen hundred for it, you know? Yeah, but, certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I sold a couple Star Wars and all kinds of stuff like that. But the older games, uh, I sold to Randy. Uh, I sold the Williams baseball games to some guy up by you, actually. He drove all the way down to to get the Williams baseball games. I, I sold them to him. I had no place to put anything, you know. I was a, you know, a teacher, a football coach, trying to make ends meet uh, because I thought I was, you know, like I said, inheriting the arcade. never happened. I was fortunate enough to grow up at my grandfather's house um, you might remember it, you might not, but it was a visible icon on Barnegat Bay. It was the pink-roofed house on West Point Island, and it was a navi- okay. it was a navigator's landmark, and it was cool growing up there. I mean, you know, it- I can imagine. You know, everybody knew me from Playland. You know, everybody. I, I couldn't go out without somebody saying, "Oh, I know you from Playland." I mean, it was a it was a good thing. You know, it was a positive thing in a lot of a lot of ways. At the beach, I even lifeguarded for, for, you know, four or five summers and then still worked at the arcade uh, in the evenings, you know. Did you, you, but you didn't grow up there for your school years, did you? I, we bought the beach house when I was three years old, the first beach house. So I was down every summer from when I was three years old. We had a, a home up in North Jersey. Right, no, I, 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 I read your. I went to college. Right, I read your. Do, I read your dossier, so I'm familiar, and we don't have to go into that. But it, it leads it leads me to because you're a couple of years older than me, and okay. the football part of you fascinates me. 
you know, I coach football for 25 no, years. No, I, I know, and I want to ask you this. I, I, <laughs> and I do announce, I announce now. No, I, I, I saw that as well. I knew that a year ago when I first fi- found you. Um, yes, yes. But when I was a kid growing up at the Jersey Shore, I had family that lived in Herbertsville, i.e. Brick Township. Yes. And I heard more about the Brick Dragons as a kid than I heard about any other high school football team in the world. So from yeah, your perspective, because you're a little bit older, not by much, but a little bit. top-notch uh, run outfit by a guy named Warren Wolf, who's recently passed away. But he ran that, that team for a long, long time, and then the kids loved him. I coached, uh, actually, in many different high schools along the way, but I was coaching in Tom's River South, and we had a play brick, uh, which we lost to most of the time. But I remember um, the town, you know, having a big party when we finally, when we finally did beat brick, you know. <laughs> I, I, I I knew that had to be part of your history because I, oh, yeah. I, I grew up in North Jersey. I grew up in a, a little town called Hohokus, but went to school. Oh, okay. I think I've heard of that. But I went to school in Ridgewood, and my okay. junior and senior years at Ridgewood were unbelievable. Right. We were top-ranked team, and I remember, and now it seems like nothing, but back then it was something, I guess. Five thousand. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about my two favorite subjects here. You know, our, no, I, our I, I, football. You know, I, I do a little bit of homework, and I usually don't. I usually free freewheel it, but um, I, I really wanted to dig into you after I saw a couple of things. I'm like, wow, football yeah, for yeah, 25 years. Um, don't hold anything back home. No, I, and I said that to you when I contacted you. You're probably like, who's this guy? He's like, I'll let him. You know. Talk about whatever you'd like, and if you don't want me yeah. to include it, like I said. Well, something uh, you might find interesting that you, that you might not have known was was in, when I was, um, I guess in, maybe in the, in the 70s, I was just getting out of high school, trying to get my life together before I went back to college and played college football. But there was some downtime in between, and I worked for this company, uh, on Springfield Avenue in Union, New Jersey, called Mundial International Corporation. And they were distributors for Godly's pinball machines. So my job was to take the machines off of the trucks and assemble them. And then when old machines came in that weren't working, it was my job to get them working. And I also would tear them apart, put all new rubbers on them and all new, you know, polish them and, and make sure everything uh, on them worked. So I did work for a godly pinball machine distributor. And the funny thing is right up the street from where I was, was a company called uh, H. Betty Industries, which was also known as Betson, who distributed Williams and Bally pinball machine. I, and I, I'm familiar with that, and I'm sure our audience is as well. Um, yeah, I was in the thick of it, you know. <laughs> no, that's... And again, I would I would never know that. Um, that's... Wow. that That's a, a, a great history lesson. And we've been accused 
of being like the history channel somebody's got to collect this information so it stays out there and people know right. what it was like back right. in the day i know you know it's an overused phrase but uh seriously it's it's part of americana that's kind of faded and right. I, I think there's a lot of people of who'd like to see it that, that randy you know he, he has that the same philosophy that, that that we have except um He's in a financial situation where he can make it come to reality, you know, God bless him. And I'm still hoping, beyond hope, that they're going to eventually let him open up this, uh, this museum in Wildwood, you know. It'll be terrific for all of us. Randy is open, right? He's open. He's got this uh, retro arcade. I mean, I walked through that place. Um, and you're, you're talking about an old Woolworths building. The square footage is beyond belief. And he's got every inch of that place filled with antique uh, arcade games. Wow. It's worth a trip down just to peruse uh, uh, what he's got. The quarter show just showed what he was operating in his arcade. In the building, he has thousands of square feet worth of antique arcade games. That and it's unfortunate that the the you know the city doesn't allow him to open that. Uh, I don't think they see what you and I see. You know, they don't see the history of it. They just they look at it in dollars and cents. You know, or, or is the is this place going to take away from the boardwalk? You know, and and the boardwalk. You know, as far as I'm concerned. The boardwalks in general have gotten away from what they were originally, you know, there for, which was families. Now, now, you know, it's pizza pie and beer, you know. Well, uh, let's let's talk about that for a second, because you were Seaside Heights and Seaside Park. Obviously, the Casino Pier, people are familiar with the Jersey Shore. We don't have to get into that unless you want to. Um, but I try to tell people who are new to pinball and maybe arcade games that you can't imagine the number of games that were on the boardwalk in right. Seaside. And when I tell right. people that some of the arcades had five Captain Fantastics right next to each, each other... <laughs> People playing yeah. them and then That's waiting to so get cute. on the games because the quarters were lined up. They look at you like you're kidding, right? right? And, on to save their space like you do in a bar to, to, to you know, to get to, to, you know, to put a, put a uh, shot glass upside down so you can get the next drink. This is what they were doing. They're putting quarters on top of the. On top of the machine, that meant they were next uh, next to go when you were done. Right, but people but don't, yeah, they, don't, they don't believe that. But people don't understand the scale, and there were multiple arcades. But I, my question is more along the line of: Did that help or hurt your business, or was there so much to go around it really didn't matter? Right, no, I agree with that. Seaside had their people that they drew that parked there. They brought their families. They played at stands. They got something, you know. They got a cheesesteak. They were happy. Um, you know, there was plenty to do for the whole family. They had little games for children. I still remember they had a little fishing game where the, 
the little fish went by and you had a, they gave you a little handle with a hook. And then it was, you know, it was simple to get. You just put the little hook through the fish that were floating by and they gave you a prize, you know. It was beautiful for families to come down and, and they were gar- you know, guaranteed to win to win a prize. Now, um, Seaside, um, I'm not picking on Seaside, but, you know, all of them. Time, times of times of times of change, bars, you know, and alcohol, and it's it's just gotten gotten. Uh, well, you know, it's gone in that direction. Well, let, let, let's talk about that because I remember when the change happened, and perhaps you do as well. Uh, do you remember when the Sawmill Pub started in Seaside Park? Of course, I do. Yes, and yeah, giant pizza and. Uh, and alcohol right there. You could sit and have a beer while you're... Well, let's take it a, a step further. You could stand on the boardwalk within the lines and have right. a beer. And right. I was a young man then, little again, a right. little younger than you, 25-cent beer night on certain nights. So yeah, yeah you could, everybody could get sauced and start fights. It was great. Um... You know what? I, I I don't remember about the fights thing, no, I'm being but 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 it was the beginning. I remember when that happened, and I remember the yeah. town fathers not being very very gracious uh, when you that business that. tried to launch yeah, you're itself. Right. You're right. You know, in Wildwood right now, you could go up to the bar, uh, get a drink, and take it with you, and walk up and down the. Uh, why would boardwalk with your drink? If there was ever a state I thought that would never happen in, it would be yours. I, I yeah. never thought I would ever see that day. But it, well, of course, they're blaming it on the virus, you know, because well, you can't go in and drink. So so now you're allowed, <clears throat> excuse me, you're allowed to take the drink with you. Yeah, it's, I, I never thought I'd see the day, but um, it, it, it's interesting to see how, you know, Things evolved from, uh, you know, when we were younger, and then after, you know, post Sandy, how it changed the complexion of that whole area, and oh, it re- it reminds me when I went down. I still had a very good friend of mine living on West Point Island, and he got hit, and that's a story unto itself. Uh, the piece that makes pinball sense is he ended up losing almost 25 classic Bali games because he had four right. feet of water in his first floor. It's a shame. And right. uh, I saw all the games when I went down to visit him. Uh, it was Christmas of that year, so two months later. And all the games out on the curb by Barnacle Bills, which we tried to get to earlier, your competitor, I'm guessing, or compatriot on the other end of town. Um, it was a shame to see that. It was, it, it was yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, you know, in the old days, we would go up to, my brother and I would take a ride up to the seaside and we'd peruse, you know, early on before the season started. And we would go look to see the big arcades, what they were buying, you know. So they were buying three, four, five, six Pac-Mans, you know. So we didn't even know what the heck Pac-Man was you know, or meant or whatever it was. But the big Barcades were buying five of them. So we went back to my father. Big Barcades are buying five Pac-Mans. So my father made a phone call and he bought two. So we had two Pac-Mans, you know. Eventually, well, we had six, 
between Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. We probably had six of them operating at the same time. Right, but they didn't break and they earned. I mean, they were, you know, they were money makers. And let's face yes. it, uh, you know, right. if you compare that to, you know, the arcade games and, you know, games that you were using prior to that, you, right. you know, well, it yeah. was it was a revelation. It was like printing money, and I'm not putting words in your mouth. You know, it's it's pretty well known that they were great earners. Well, you know, we're we're operating pinball machines uh, and, and 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 other games. You know, bowling and whatever for ten cents is ten cents a pop. You know, and and the beautiful thing about the video games was of course they were very expensive to purchase they were back in the you know the late 70s early 80s they were thirty five hundred dollars to buy one game which was you know astronomical wow that's wow that's incredible you you get your money back you know but but you were charging a quarter a pop you know instead of a nickel or a dime to play you know no i i look i i remember a lot of nickels in the baseball games most of the games you talked about or we talked about today were nickels. There were some dime games, um, but mostly, you know, my quarters went down the street. Um, I don't know why we gravitated towards Barnacle Bills. I'm guessing because they had a lot of the latest pinballs and quite a few of them. But, right. Um, focus on pinball machines, really. Right, and there were two different businesses, and I wanted to ask you about that because you were more family centric with you know the mini golf. They had it too, but they were definitely more pinball centric. I played pong there for the first time, but I right. remember them primarily as a pinball parlor. Yeah, we were. We had a row of pinball machines, but we had a row of everything else. Also, you know, so pinballs weren't, you know, weren't uh, our focus uh, at the time. You know, but, uh, you know, we weren't big fans of either, uh, obviously. No, two, two different markets and it, it, you know, both can do right. well in, in any environment. It's, you know, what, well, you know, who's your audience you're attracting? Where they sent the, they sent the town down on us, you know, which was, which didn't make uh, didn't make us very happy with with the owners of the Barnacle Bills. So is you that know. family? Does that family still own that property? Since uh, I think the son the son owns it. I think they have apartments above the above the building. Uh, last time it was looked, that was years ago. They had put apartments up on top, and they had a snack stand on the side and. And the miniature golf course, and uh, and uh, as far as I understood, the son had inherited it, and he was operating it. When when was the last time you were out on the island? Um, I say I, I took a ride through that area a few years back. Um, I wanted to see you know the damage from the storm, of course, and uh, how the beach area was coming back, of course used to be all nice and now everything's on stilts so it's not as not as appealing as it used to be it, it's very odd looking at all the elevated homes it um, really is my my grandfather's home 
was, this was very strange. My wife and I happened to be in New Jersey two days before the storm hit. And we went by my grandfather's home that was sold and there were no windows in it. And I struck, you know, it struck me as odd. I'm like, why are all those windows not in the house? And drove by, didn't give it much thought. Two days later, the storm hit. But before the storm hit that Monday, the crew came in and tore the house down and put it into a dumpster. My buddy rode by and he said, hey, you know, your grandfather's house isn't there anymore. And that concludes today's episode. I want to thank David for taking the time out of his day to revisit the memories I had of Lavalette and that area of the Jersey Shore. He clearly demonstrated through this episode that he has the passion for arcades and truly misses that on a day-to-day basis. You know, I would love to be there today, you know, handing out change. i